You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. Hello, everybody. This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to episode 59, Narrative Apologetics. Well, when we teach students to defend their faith, to own their faith, to think about why they believe their faith, we consistently go to the topic and practice of apologetics. And there are many ways to approach defending our faith and explaining things. And one of those ways is through story. Uh, If you heard my conversation with Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor, uh, we talked about the power of story. And uh, one fantastic author, Alistair McGrath, uh, wrote a book called Narrative Apologetics. He has written several apologetics books, and this one definitely caught my eye. And to help me talk about the book is my brother, Ryan. Uh, Ryan is an experienced youth leader. He also is a student of apologetics. And so we uh, talk about the contents of the book and what it means to defend our faith, think about our faith from the standpoint of narrative. So let's hop into this conversation with Ryan. All right, Ryan, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for hopping on today, bro. Good to have you back. Hey, thanks for having me back on. Yeah. Uh, So, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, for this episode, we'll be talking about the concept of taking a narrative approach to apologetics. This might sound simplistic to you who are listening, uh, or perhaps complicated, uh, but we'll unfold this idea as our discussion progresses. Uh, As I mentioned also in the intro, we're primarily talking about this concept through the lens of Alistair McGrath's book, Narrative Apologetics. Uh, So Ryan, let's start with the basics. What is a good definition for this apologetic approach and what are one or two examples of it? Yeah, narrative apologetics. I was really fascinated by this uh, topic. Um, I've been involved in apologetics for several years now and kind of the we'll call it the traditional form of apologetics has been, you know, more intellectual, uh, more rational, logic-based kind of responses. And that's been fine because, you know, most of the challenges that have been come up from Christianity in recent decades have kind of been born out of modernism. You know, you had the enlightenment, you had Darwinian evolution. And so the challenges, you know, like the historical reliability of the Bible are kind of intellectual in nature. So apologetics takes on an intellectual response to defend the faith. And I mean, that's all apologetics is, is a defense of the faith. And so I was really curious with this narrative approach. It's kind of a different approach. And so uh, as far as what narrative apologetics is, I'll just, I'll quote McGrath here, uh, his definition. He says, Uh, Narrative apologetics sets out to explore how stories can open up important ways of communicating and commending the gospel, enabling it to be understood, connecting it with the realities of the human experience, and challenging other stories that are told about the world and ourselves. 
And so that really fascinated me because, you know, there are a lot of stories, if you will, that are out there um, that try to explain where we come from, why all of this is here rather than not here, all of this stuff. And, and the Christianity is a story too. And so why can't we use story ourselves to communicate the truths of Christianity and the gospel? And so um, to kind of give an example of a narrative approach, um, I'll borrow one uh, from McGrath in his book. Uh, he uses, um, he gives a, a, a challenge and then he uses an intellectual response to that challenge. And then he, he uses narrative to respond to that challenge. And so uh, the challenge he offers in his book, he quotes from a, a German philosopher and I'll kind of refrain from pronouncing his name for fear of butchering it. But he um, basically the challenge is basically that our concept of God is just comes from our own imagination. We, uh, you know, kind of project our feelings, and our aspirations outward. And so thus we kind of form and create this idea of a God. And so uh, basically God belief in God is a mere wish fulfillment. Um, it's an expression of our own longings and it kind of helps shield us or provides a crutch when the harsh realities of life hit us. Basically that's his argument. And so McGrath will, uh, first he challenges it intellectually and he shows that, um, you know, while this, this view might challenge Christianity, you can turn it and challenge atheism as well. Uh, he says, you know, he uses Thomas Nagel, who's a philosopher and an atheist uh, who says, you know, it's not that I just don't believe in God, says Nagel. It's that I don't want there to be a God. I hope there is no God. And so he shows that his atheism is really just born out of wish fulfillment. It's an expression of his own longings to be the master of his own life, to be the captain of his own destiny. And so what might defeat Christianity can defeat atheism as well. And so that's the intellectual approach to show kind of the... Um, uh, logical underpinnings of that. And so you, that's how you defeat that view. Well, this defeats your own atheism too. Oh, so that's kind of the more rational intellectual approach. And then uh, McGrath will then use the narrative approach for that challenge. And he uses uh, C.S. Lewis and he uses C.S. Lewis a lot through this book. And if you know anything about Alistair McGrath, I did some research on him. He's kind of a C.S. Lewis fanboy. Um, you know, he wrote a biography on on him, <clears throat> so it's no it's no surprise that he uses C.S. Lewis as a, 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 a as examples throughout his book. And so, in responding to this challenge about whether our beliefs about God are just extrapolations of our own experience and our own feelings and emotions, uh, Lewis uses um, an example in his book, The Silver Chair which if you're familiar with that, that's one of the later novels in the Chronicle of Narnia series. And so he uses this example of uh, where the main characters of the story, they find themselves in an underland. And in this underland are a bunch of residents and they are born into this world, this dark kind of cave world, they never leave. So they have no concept of anything outside of this cave world that they live in. And this underland is ruled by a character known as the Lady of the Green Kirtle. And she's trying to persuade them that Narnia is just a figment of their imaginations. And so the character of Puddleglum, if you remember him, he tries to explain to these inhabitants that, no, no, 
there's a whole nother world out there beyond these realms of the underland. There's a, a, an overworld and it's illuminated by a sun in the sky. And so they just ridicule this idea though. Well, the only reason you're coming up with this idea of a sun in the sky is because you've seen the torches that are hanging on the walls of our cave. And that's, you just, you're just borrowing from that to come up with this own, your own explanation of this sun. And besides, if there really is a sun, where, what does it hang from? And so as the reader of this story, you're kind of going, okay, I can see the position of the inhabitants of the underland. That's all they know. So the idea of a sun in the sky is kind of incoherent to them. However, you also know that Puddleglum is correct. There is another land out there that's above ground. There really is a sun in the sky. He's telling the truth. He's not just uh, making things up by pulling things from what he sees around him in the cave. He's, he's telling the truth. And so um, it's a really interesting uh, uh, thing. We, or he's, Lewis is allowing his readers to flip their points of view. And I can see it from the Underland's perspective, and I can see it from Pogolim's perspective. And so this is kind of a way of challenging the naturalist worldview. Naturalism is a worldview where it says that um, the only thing that's real that exists uh, is the natural world and the universe and stuff that we can see. There's nothing else out there beyond that. Um, and, and it's kind of like the inhabitants of the underland who believe that there's nothing out there beyond their cave. And indeed, there cannot be anything out there beyond their cave. But uh, as, as McGrath notes, and I'll just quote him here, he says, Lewis creates imaginative space for his readers to place their beliefs about God and show that there are plausible alternatives to naturalism. Because we know Puddleglum's correct about the sun. Um, and so maybe there really is something out there beyond our natural universe. And, and so it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a very interesting kind of a, a way to engage the imagination and challenge the precepts of naturalism in this case, that God is not just an extrapolation of our own beliefs, borrowing from the natural world, but there really is something out there. So, Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah. And I can see the distinctive difference in, you know, what you touched on as far as the rational, logical argument approach, and then the narrative approach, which deals mainly when you're talking with someone face-to-face it's dealing with experience and um, what you've seen and what you've taken in either through your eyes what you've heard um, and placing yourself somewhere and you're sharing that story with someone Um, and you know one of my favorite sections in this book is in the first chapter you know so he he himself I, i love that you brought up naturalism uh, and you wrote a blog post on this, which we'll touch on at the end when you can promote it a little bit. But, um, you know, McGrath, uh, if anyone's wondering if he's just taking everything from Lewis or just kind of making comparisons, uh, one of Alistair McGrath's doctorates is in natural sciences. And so he has a pretty good grasp of that. Um, and so I love his quote here, um, which I feel like he you takes the rest of the book and basically expounds upon this. All right. So he says, empirical studies have helped us to appreciate that we are human beings uh, and we're creatures who try to understand who we are, 
what our world is all about, and how we ought to live by locating and positioning ourselves, here it is, within a framework of narratives. To be human is to ask questions about who we are, why we are here, and what life is all about. And most often, we answer those questions using stories. Christianity has a deep narrative structure articulating a grand story that connects together God, his son, Jesus Christ, and believers. And so to really understand everything, but certainly everything within Christianity, how God has revealed himself, how God created everything, the order of everything, and how everything works and we are to live and function, it's within a grand story. And so the heart of who we are we have to be able to place ourselves in our own lives, in our own experience. Time, right? We're all within time and space. So we measure everything by what did happen and what is going to happen and what is happening now, right? And so uh, we have to be able to incorporate our experience into everything that we do. And I love what you said uh, earlier about stories because the Bible is full of stories, right? So if we take that idea of us being within this idea of a narrative in our lives and looking at the Bible as several stories within a grand story. Let me ask you this next question in a slightly facetious way, but also for honest reflection. Do you think we have underestimated the power of the flannel graph? (laughs) I love that. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, we're thinking about that. We may well have, I mean, the fact that we can remember the stories of the flannel graph so well from our Sunday school lessons 20 to 30 years ago, uh, you know, that may prove McGrath's point about our narrative instinct that's built into us. <laughs> yeah. And, and for those who are listening, who are like, what the heck is a flannel graph? Just take a few <laughs> seconds and Google it. And uh, yeah. you'll see that instead of, you know, a high tech smart whiteboard or whatever else people use nowadays. Uh, yeah. This was pretty basic and simple, but helpful visual tools for us kids. That's right. Yeah. We could see the, you know, the stories of King David being played out in front of our eyes there as the teacher moved the pieces of flannel around the board and told the story. So, (laughs) Um, but you know, I mean, yeah, the Bible is full of good stories and um, you know, I, I love that. It just reminded me of, you know, I found this quote here from McGrath that I took from the book, and he says, you know, the Bible is firmly rooted in history on the one hand, while offering an interpretation of that history that transcends any specific time or place on the other. And I thought that was really good. And, and in fact, he illustrates that in his book by talking about um, the Passover. And he goes back to Exodus and the Exodus of the Israelites, freeing them from the Egyptian slavery and of course, that's where Passover comes into play. God, you know, after he frees the Israelites from Pharaoh and the Egyptians, he then institutes this celebration of Passover to remember that time in history. And then it gets even more transcendent because when you get to the New Testament, you get to Jesus and the Last Supper and you realize all of that, all of that the symbolism packed into this celebration of Passover was pointing to Jesus. He is the ultimate Passover lamb who takes away all of our sin. And so uh, I I love that idea. You know, like like someone like C.S. Lewis will take, uh, we come up, we create our own stories, you know, like he created Aslan and the the land of Narnia and uses that as an allegory for Christianity. 
And God will take real history, real historical events and people and use that as an allegory to point out what he's actually going to accomplish. So he takes it next level. And, and so we, you know, using the Christian narrative, um, why not? Why can't we use the, the, this method to show the reasonableness and the desirability, indeed, of Christianity? Jesus told parables all the time to communicate the truths of God and how the kingdom operates. Uh, you know, so the Christian narrative can help us see Christianity much more clearly, which is the goal of apologetics. Apologetics, is, its goal is always to try to remove the obstacles from people's vision so they have a much clearer view of who God is, of, who, of what Christianity is all about, and, and hopefully can lead us to realize our sinfulness and embrace the gospel. Um, so but I like the, the idea of this narrative because it engages our minds and our imaginations uh, to see reality in a new way. Um, you know, McGrath says a story can lead us to want to open our lives to the transforming grace of God. And so um, using stories from the Bible is, is, is completely legitimate. He goes over all of that. As I said, you know, we, we talked about the Passover and the Exodus from Egypt. That's one story. There, there's so many. But, you know, as you read the entire Bible, it's one overall arching story that God is putting together that ultimately points to Christ, to Jesus, as the ultimate fulfillment of that whole narrative. And, and so showing that there's a grander story there that explains all of the other stories, even stories that we come up with here in our, our own modern culture. Uh, those stories find their grounding in the ultimate story of Christianity. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, you know, that's what he believed. He, he, he says, you know, our ability to create stories is based on the fact that we're made in the image of God and God is the ultimate storyteller. Yeah. That just is evidence for him uh, for Tolkien to say, this is why we're so fascinated with stories. Yeah, totally. I mentioned it in, I think one or two other previous episodes, but I would be remiss not to mention it here when we're talking about, uh, Alistair McGrath's book, um, is that I got the unique honor of meeting him, uh, at a small little house party with several others and just got to hear him talk about, the history of our faith and how talking about the enlightenment and rational argument and the meaning of orthodoxy to different people around the world and different faiths and all of that, you know, just super interesting. Uh, I'm kicking myself for not hitting record on my phone and putting the phone somewhere. Um, <laughs> at the very end, he gave each of us there um, a little book that had just come out and signed it to us. And, I got uh, the great opportunity to ask him a quick question, and it was about this book. I said, you know, you've done apologetics from a lot of different angles. Why would you do it from narrative apologetics? Uh, basically, why would you use story as the basis for it? And um, he definitely and obviously uh, talks about that in his book. Um, but the few things he said to me um, were basically when you share what's happened in your life, in your story, it should remind people and show them that your story can be part of their story and they can place themselves in what happened. It's not just a, 
here's a position paper on this and I need you to make these logical assertions so you can agree with me. It, it's you can live this as I have lived it and to experience it. Um, yeah. And it's powerful because while someone that you talk to either because of a language barrier or even just specific details and elements of intellect and understanding might take a little bit to grasp and reach. Everyone can kick a soccer ball around. Everyone can speak to each other and eat together at a table. Like when you experience life together and then you introduce the creator of life into that and you can point to what we see, right? Being uh, in Christ, we can point to so many things in scripture and even now of God at work. And we can make these uh, very easy dot connections and show people that firsthand. And so it's a very appropriate, very powerful, very relevant thing to someone, regardless of their belief, background, whatever else they have an opinion on. We can all live in the present together and experience the same things. Um, and this makes yeah. me think about, um, you know, working with teenagers, right? Uh, we've both been able to work with teenagers in the youth ministry context and talking with them. And one big thing that I feel like maybe a little bit when they're younger, but I feel like really starting when uh, people are, are teenagers is when they um, really grasp for themselves um, this concept of shame and guilt and how could a loving God ever accept me or want to do anything for me because I'm not worthy of this. You know, you don't know the things that I've done. Maybe it's okay for you, but there's no way it could work for me in a similar way. Um, how could God be real? Because this happened to me. And so obviously because these things happened to me and these things have happened throughout history, God isn't real. And if he is, there's no way he can be good. Right. And so you can use your lived experience and the experiences of those in the past, bad and good experiences to be able to show where God is at work. Um, and I love that because um, especially for youth workers, maybe who are fresh out of seminary or uh, people who have come from the classroom setting or academic setting and they're eager just to teach, um, we can easily shoot way over the heads of teenagers or just people in general. Um, by how we communicate things. But when we show yeah. them things and uh, explain and describe things that everyone is familiar with and has gone through themselves probably or can personally relate to, that is something that's different um, and yet fits within the same thing that rational arguments fit within. And it's just trying to expose reality. And as you said, the goal of apologetics clarity about how things really are right and yeah no I, I agree with you i like what you said there and, and it's just true yeah um you know and 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 mcgrath continues to give some more of his um uh, ideas in here you know he you know talking about the concept of sin and oh i've done some horrible things and whatever you know and how could god accept me and and you know one of the ways he he uses you know he talks in his book about using the narrative approach to broach the concept of sin because uh, sin's not very popular with people <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know, but it's a necessary 
thing. We are sinners. We are flawed and broken. We need a savior. And that's an essential truth that we need to say. But one of the ways, and he points to Paul doing this in, in, in his letters is, um, is it, particularly in Romans, is he personifies sin. And sin now is not just this thing that we do. Sin is, you know, he says we were once slaves to sin, but now we are free in Christ. And so slave, uh, sin, excuse me, sin becomes this personal force that's compelling us to act in certain ways. But through Jesus's work on the cross, that force is broken. And now we're free. We have the opportunity. We don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. So it, it kind of personifies sin as this force, the slave driver kind of force that's compelling us to act in certain ways. And that might make it a little more palatable to people. And this is what Paul was saying in, in Romans. So it's, it's, it's appropriate, but Christ has broken the chains and set us free from sin. And so, you know, that's one way to, to broach that with, with people, you know, you know, sin is like this personal force that compels us to do these terrible things, but Christ breaks those chains for us. Um, you know, we, we talk about, he talks about the problem of evil and again, using a narrative approach of, yeah, you know, there's all this pain and suffering. Well, at, at the center of Christianity, at the core, we have a suffering savior. We have a, a Jesus who willingly submitted himself to all this pain and suffering on our behalf. And, um, you know, while Christ's suffering was painful, it wasn't meaningless. And in fact, not only was it meaningful, his suffering conveys meaning on our suffering as well. Our suffering has meaning because Christ suffered for us. And so, you know, this, this idea using the story, again, this is a compelling, this is a real history. And this is a story that compels, that, that tells us um, you have meaning, your suffering has meaning. You're not suffering in vain. Christ knows exactly what it's like to, to what you're going through because he suffered that on the cross. He took all that on himself. And so he knows he's not uh, unaware of this and he's there for you. You know, so that kind of thing. So story uh, in that kind of way can help kind of communicate some of those more um, difficult uh, concepts. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, all right. So let's bring this back to Gen Z teenagers uh, in our youth ministries. Like many elements in life and aspects of our faith, we teach students that the one size fits all approach never really works, except for salvation in Christ, of course. Um, there are several uh, points of Christianity that people have questions about um, or disagree on, things that aren't having to do with salvation, but just you know, textual criticism in the Bible, this seems to contradict this, or what does it mean to have these certain qualifications of leadership or uh, order of end times, all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, this quote that McGrath includes from a Spanish philosopher named Jose Ortega, uh, I feel like provides a good synopsis of why we can't take um, that one-size-fits-all approach with apologetics. We need the rational logical discussion argument, but also, as we've been talking about, the power of story and narrative and how we live, where we live, um, is incredibly powerful because um, if you think about it, the logical, rational assertion of everything cannot happen outside of our ongoing narrative, time and space, everything just playing out, right? And so it's almost like 
the basis of our reality is something that we have to acknowledge more practically while also recognizing the power of logical argument and discussion and being able to figure things out in a certain way, right? So uh, this is uh, the quote that um, McGrath lists from Jose Ortega. Uh, Jose Ortega argued that human flourishing and, and well-being requires more than the partial account of reality that science offers. He said, we need a big picture, an integral idea of the universe that possesses existential depth and not merely cognitive functionality. So it can't just be arguments. There's one other point at the beginning of the book where McGrath uh, talked about someone else who said that we have to acknowledge that there's a limit to what we can actually argue and know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Like we can think something is that way, but really when it comes down to what you can argue and think about, we've seen that no matter what you believe or who you believe in, it comes down to faith. Um, And so, uh, you know, there's trying to use the concept and the approach of logical reasoning and everything else, but also um, you can swing the other way and lean too much on narrative approaches. And uh, I would say at one point uh, or at several points, the disciples may have felt that way because uh, when Jesus is giving parable after parable (laughs) to a lot of their questions or the questions of Pharisees or whoever else, there comes a point when he speaks about something and they say, finally, you are speaking plainly and not speaking in ways that are figurative and for us to try and figure out, right? So I wonder, uh, you know, when he's telling the parable of the lost coin, if like Bartholomew rolls his eyes and says, not again, like tell tell something very clearly, okay? Um, And so it's good for us to be able to bring them both together. Uh, So Ryan, how can youth workers uh, teach students about combining both the experiential narrative approach and the rational logic approach to apologetics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, probably a good way would, I mean, a good starting point is to be, get familiar with the truths of Christianity, uh, know what those are. Um, and then, you know, get familiar with the classical arguments for God's existence. Uh, you know, the classic apologetic arguments, you know, the Kalam cosmological argument, the fine tuning argument, the moral argument, get familiar with what those arguments are. <clears throat> and you can use those arguments. I, those arguments are pretty convincing. I find them to be. Uh, but then, you know, why not start to think, OK, now that I'm familiar with these arguments, how can I repackage those in a narrative form? Is there something that's happened in my life that I can tell a story about that illustrates the same tenets of this argument? Or can I, you know, can I create a story that tells the tenets of this argument that might not, you know, that might, you know, if it depends on who you're talking to, you got to know your audience. And, and so, you know, maybe if someone's not really into the scientific, logical thing, their eyes start to glaze over, find a story form to communicate those truths. Or, or if they love that kind of stuff, then fine, just give them the argument and do that. That's fine. You know, there's, an, again, like you said, not a one size fits all. And you know, apologetics, you know, being primarily just a defense of the faith of Christianity, giving a reason for the hope that is within us, and also of trying to um, defeat false ideas raised against the knowledge of God. Take take whatever form you can, 
to, to, to do that. And if that's a logical, rational approach, that's fine. We're, we're rational beings created by a rational being. So that makes sense. But if that needs to be narrative form to really capture the imagination and help draw someone in, great, let's do that. And so get familiar with, like I said, the truths of Christianity and, and, and like the arguments for God's existence. And then how can I repackage those into a, uh, a narrative form? You can also uh, you know, point to stories in our culture and use those. Uh, you know, Paul, you know, when he went to, to when he's hanging around Athens, waiting for Barnabas and his friends to show up so they could continue on their trip, he went meandering around Athens and he saw cultural touchstones there. You know, the, he saw the idols to the gods and, and the, the, the one idol to the unknown God. And that became his launching point for talk to the Greeks. You know, hey, you know, that unknown God that you have a, a, a monument to, let me tell you about him. I know him. Let me tell you who he is. He would quote their own poetry to them in making his point about who God was. And so use stories in our own culture to do that. You can go like to the Narnia series, if you'd like, or Tolkien's books, or you can, you know, pick whatever other story you want to do. One thing I did think of that I wanted to say, which I thought was good, you know, going modern, finding modern cultural stories that people are mostly familiar with uh, are the Marvel movies you know, Marvel, the Avenger films and stuff like that. Most people have seen them. They're very familiar with them. And so, you know, like in the latest Avengers film, Avengers Endgame, and I'll just say spoiler alert. I'm going to give away the spoiler here. So if you haven't seen it, honestly, it's been out for a few years, you know, a couple of years, at least we've been, we're all stuck at home the last year. So you have no excuse if you haven't seen Avengers Endgame yet. <laughs> yeah. um, but at the climax of the film, Tony Stark, who's Iron Man, who got the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe kicked off, he sacrifices himself in order to save humanity, and not just humanity, but the entire the universe, from Thanos and his evil plan to wipe out half the universe and, and, and all that. And it cost him his life. He used the Infinity Stones, he snapped his fingers, and he stopped Thanos and his evil plan, but it cost him his life. And uh, that was a very sad moment. But even though it was sad, there was something immensely satisfying about his death because it had purpose. It had meaning and it resonated with our deepest intuitions, right? Someone who would sacrifice himself for the good of others to save them from a terrible evil. Right. And so there's a movie that most people have seen. Why not use that in that moment, particularly as that it resonates deeply with us to launch about to talk about the truth and goodness of Christianity. Of, that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He sacrificed himself willingly for our good to save us from a horrible evil. And, and so that's why that resonates so well with us. So, you know, find modern stories that reflect elements of Christianity and use them. Yeah, definitely. I love that Marvel example, um, but also from literature, you know, I talked about Lewis and Tolkien um, and, you know, this talking about trying to hold two things together uh, and using our base fundamental truth of who God is and to be able to talk about it in multiple ways and deliver it. It reminds me of a conversation I had on here a few episodes ago uh, with my buddy Cameron, who's also uh, a youth pastor. And uh, he talked about how there's uh, a lot of debate uh, especially maybe with teenagers on, hey, you need to be able to teach only exegetically or, 
hey, you should frame most of what you do topically because that's what they're living through. And we talked about how you need to be able to combine both those things because there are, there's so much good and clear things uh, in scripture. But, you know, scripture doesn't exactly break down how many minutes someone should be on their phone for social media or, you know, like all these little different all these things uh, and other examples that teenagers do face. And so you need to be able to pull the truths of scripture to be able to address certain topics and questions and circumstances that students are facing. Um, And uh, yeah, so, I mean, I love the approach of being able to know the classical arguments, know what Orthodox Christianity is as well, and then be able to look at how do people interact with those you know how do they live those how do they what is the evidence that they believe those things right uh lee strobel uh yes. on uh on his twitter account and in his books and jay warner wallace and everything else you know several of those guys will constantly ask a question if you were put on trial for being a christian would there be enough evidence to convict you right and so uh for us we have to think about and present this in a way for teenagers, it's not just approaching a list of rules and things that you need to do and things that you can't do. It's placing yourself in the grand story of history of what God is doing in humanity and creation and everything Mm -hmm. else and looking for him at work and being able to see examples and signs of, of him, themes, whether it's movies or books, all that kind of stuff to help back that up and to help give really um, good examples uh, for students, especially to be able to make those links of, oh, okay, the the uh, theme and the presence of sacrifice here and linking it to what Christ did for us, right? Um, so yeah, we had to be able to hold several things together. And like I've brought up several times in this podcast, when you do that, you automatically have tension and tension's mm-hmm. not fun. Um, it's much easier to do what our culture at, at large is doing now and just pick one extreme or the other. Um, and so when you have tension, you are uncomfortable. Um, and there's no way that you can hold those things completely by yourself independently, which is why the way that we were created, not just the goal, but the way we were created was for dependence. Uh, God said it's not good for man to be alone. And throughout Mm -hmm. history from Genesis till now, until everything is remade and, and made as it should be at the end, we were made for community to be together and to depend on our creator uh, who himself is in community, father, son, and spirit. And so uh, we have to be able to live with tension yeah, we need people to help us out with that. We're not called to depend on God and then just try and fight it out by ourselves. That's why the church isn't one person or two people. It's everybody together. Um, And we have the benefit of local churches, which is where most of the people listening who are working with youth are working in that context. And so we have to be able to walk with that tension and hold those things together. But I love how you talk about weaving Uh, certain truths and logic in through the themes and descriptions of a story to be able to illustrate from both sides how something is true, real, 
and demands our attention and our consideration for how it affects us. Right. Yeah. And and McGrath points that out. He talks about Christianity as a tapestry. Mm -hmm. It, It weaves together all these threads of truth and goodness and beauty, and it weaves them together in a coherent pattern. And, and, and Christianity is one of those things that, you know, you can pick, you can nitpick one thing or the other thing, whatever, but as you, as it gains strength, as it becomes more co- cohesive from all these different angles and it, it, like a tapestry, a pattern emerges. And so, yeah, it, it, it gains its strength with its cohesiveness. And so, yeah, pulling from the sciences, pulling from arts and, and, and things like that and weaving them all together creates a stronger, um, uh, a faith that we can we can share with the world that is more comprehensive in explaining the world and why things are the way they are. Yep, totally agree. Totally agree. I love that tapestry illustration. Um, so, well, Ryan, this has been a lot of fun, uh, very enlightening, uh, very fun discussion. I'm glad you could hop back on. Uh, before we wrap up, can you tell people listening? where they can keep up with what you write about online uh, and content about apologetics. Sure. Um, Yeah. If people want to connect online, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, My handle for both accounts is that Ryan Harding. Um, So they can find me there. And there's a link to my blog in both the bios of my Twitter and Instagram. Uh, My blog is called 1004 Apologetics. And that's a reference to 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, uh, and also a reference to the Back to the Future films. And uh, uh, it's 1004, all spelled out, 1004blog.wordpress.com. Uh, but you can just go find me on Twitter, Instagram, and there's a link to the blog right in the bio there. Perfect. Yeah. And to help uh, everyone out, I will have a link to your blog in the show notes so they can find that easily. But as you just said, you can find it easily as well on your social media. Uh, well, Ryan, uh, I'll be praying for you as God continues to use your passion for apologetics to be able to not only fuel your own faith and knowledge, but also be able to share that with others in the sphere of conversation about who God is and why it matters. Thanks again, bro. Thank you. Appreciate it. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Ryan, my brother, for hopping on the podcast. The link to his blog is in the show notes, so check that out. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening to it, and be sure to follow us on our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find those social media handles and more at our website, youthministrymaverick.com. There you will also find some guest bios, a comprehensive list of all of our episodes and show notes, some ministry partners to help you in your own ministry, an online store to support the podcast, published articles by me, and more. So be sure to visit our website for those things. Also, we really love when people give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Apple is the biggest podcast streamer, and it really helps boost our visibility when people give us a good review. So if you go there and give us a review, not just a rating, but a review, take a screenshot of it before you hit submit and send it to me. And as a thank you, I will send you a card with some merchandise that you can't buy on our online store. So be sure to do that. Well, that's all for now. So until next time, 
Thanks again for listening. Adios.